You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Hello everybody, this is Danny Anderson welcoming you again to another episode of the Sectarian Interview Podcast. I gotta say I'm very grateful to the Blind Revelators once again for letting me use their cover of that song. Uh, we recently just got a Facebook comment, uh, came to listen to see Derek Varn, will stay to f- help fight Satan. And so uh, I thought that was one of the most perfect Facebook comments we've had on the show so far. But uh, my name is Danny Anderson. Uh, I teach English at Mount Aloysius College. And uh, today, you know, we do pop culture episodes every now and then. And so we're going to do one about a TV series that um, is particularly interesting to a lot of people. We're jumping in after three seasons finally, but uh, there's a fourth season coming up. So I don't think we're too late here. Uh, we're going to be talking about the NBC series, the good place. And uh, joining me to do this are uh, two of, uh, contributors to the show. I don't know if you guys have been on the same time, but uh, we have uh, the liaison, the press liaison for the whole network, uh, Kristen Philippic. How are you doing, Kristen? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. Kristen um, is like sort of the, the, I don't know, it's like the DNA of the whole network. She um, arranges so much of what happens um, behind the scenes, particularly with Christian humanist profiles. You get us all sorts of uh, connections uh to interview amazing authors about their work and uh and for me i know that you've sent a lot of guests my way and so uh, we're always grateful for Kristen um and her presence and sort of the the being the backbone backbone of the the network but um it's great to have her on as a guest here too so this is like the second or third time you've been on the show i Something think like that, yeah. yeah and so it's always a pleasure and uh, i know you've been pushing me to do this a long time um <laughs> as has uh my other guest today uh nathan nathan mcgee my uh colleague and friend here at mount elocious college nathan how's it going going very well thanks for having me back uh nathan you teach well, why don't you remind us a little about your bio i am the, an associate professor of uh, fine arts and the theater director here at Mount Aloysius. And he does amazing work uh, producing incredible shows. I really enjoyed this year's um, play, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, set in the 80s, which was uh, super successful and, and a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And so if you're in the neighborhood, uh, you should stop by and see one of our plays sometime. It's uh, Nathan does an incredible job um, with, you know, not the biggest budgets in the world, right? That is fair to say, yes. <laughs> but uh, you do you do great. Uh, well, let's jump right into the subject here. So, the Good Place is a uh, a series, and incidentally, I have I'm just looking on my little to do board for the show. We were going to record this apparently in mid December at some point, and uh, here we are at the very end of April, finally getting to it. Uh, and that's entirely my fault. It took me forever to get through the third season, and then you know the semester picked up, and so we are here though. Um, the the plot of this show, if you're unfamiliar, and we will be spoiling it, so um, be prepared for that. Um, and this is a show, and particularly in the first season, where you don't want it spoiled, I think. And so you probably want to go back and watch at least that uh, before listening to this episode. Um, but uh, the do one of you want to, like, Nathan, do you want to talk a little bit about just the general plot of the show? So the show begins with uh, 
Eleanor Shellstrop. 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 Fun name. Yes. Uh, waking up in what she believes to be the good place, um, a non-denominational <laughs> heaven, uh, and uh, you find out very quickly that she is in the wrong place, that she should be in the bad place. She's a really terrible, selfish person. Uh, and so the, a lot of the first season is about her at first trying to mask the fact that she's in, in the wrong place because she doesn't want to be found out. And then it transforms into her trying to earn her spot, I suppose, to try to learn to become a better person um, with her uh, supposedly um, soulmate, Chidi, uh, who happens to be a philosophy professor, and uh, then you have other characters that are in the good place. But mo- the, all the, the first season's completely self-contained within uh, their life in the good place until the end of the first season, and this is where the spoilers would come in. Uh, you find out they're actually in the bad place, and Eleanor figures it out that uh, they uh, this is a construct that's supposed to look like the good place, but they are they are actually torturing one another because they have picked people who uh, are incompatible. And so, you know, it's like your worst uh, your your worst enemy having to share space with them. You would drive each other insane over the course of you know millennia. Um, at which point, the show transitions into something else entirely. Uh, so that's a summary of the first season. But though I think the whole show is really about grappling with. What is it? What does it mean to be ethical? What does it mean to be good? Uh, and then the different the three seasons, I think, approach that in different ways. Yeah. And the show like dives head on into philosophy. Right. I mean, we get actually some quite deep uh, and, and and, you know, the deep tracks, if you will, <laughs> of uh, the deep cuts of, of, of philosophical thinking in the Western tradition. And uh, and, and Chidi is uh, played really brilliantly, really, really brilliantly, excuse me, by William Jackson Harper uh, as this uh, neurotic uh, philosophy professor. And so I guess we should say a little bit about the flaws that each character brings. There's sort of four main subjects of this uh, of this world um which is designed by um a character named Michael who we think is an angel but is actually a demon um played incredibly brilliantly by Ted Danson um and so we can talk a little bit about the performances in a little bit um Kristen what are the the personalities what, what tell us about the collection of personalities okay so um Eleanor had a really tough growing up and uh learned very early that she could never rely on anybody and she always had to look out for herself because nobody else would. That's a lesson she learned pretty well. And uh, and we in flash little flashbacks we see of her earthly life, um, she works as a telemarketer selling um, placebos, basically, yeah. uh, to elderly people, um, snake oil, more or less. <laughs> She's a scammer. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, she's a modern day snake oil salesman and is really good at it um, and will go out to drinks with her coworkers and always finagle things so she never has to end up being the designated driver and uh, various sorts of ways of always looking out for always looking out for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Chidi Anagonye. Uh, was a philosophy professor 
um, spe specifically specializing in ethics. Um, we don't see as much of where he came from, um, but he's he was always incredibly indecisive um, because he always wanted to make the best decision and uh, you have to weigh all the facts and there are always some more facts out there to be found. And so it's it's quite paralyzing, which makes him really annoying to be around. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't ever get the sense that he was hurting anybody, uh, but he was really aggravating. Um, then uh, Tahani Al-Jamil was very much a poor little rich girl uh, gr growing up um in a very very wealthy family um where her parents very much always uh compared her and her younger sister and uh tahani always mm, came up wanting in, com in comparison mm -hmm. uh so she was desperately trying to show her self-worth and uh, was quite the socialite and quite the philanthropist and raised billions of dollars for charity. Um, but it was always, there was always a, a, a selfish motivation there because she was doing all these good things in order to win approval, mm -hmm. which she never got. And then there's Jason Mendoza, who's <laughs> kind of hard to describe. Um, uh, this guy actually was hurting people on a regular basis. Uh -huh. um, that uh, he is very much a petty criminal, and maybe even not so petty. Um, and yet, he doesn't really have malice. Um, uh, like, this was his world, and he went along to get along, because that just seemed normal. Um, and he would be robbing houses and, and doing various other bad things. And yet he always sort of has a sense of innocence about him. It's like he's not even capable of choosing evil because he's just not quite all there. Yeah. He's a product of Jacksonville, Florida, and the show uses him to, yes. to make many, many jokes about Florida. Absolutely. <laughs> and rightfully so. And so, uh, and, and it's particularly the Jacksonville Jaguars who he, he, uh, worships and, and Blake Bortles. And I don't know what they're going to do in season four now that Blake Bortles has been traded or cut or whatever. Uh, he's with another team, I think. And so, uh, he's, I'm sure of course they're right. He's in the good place. So how would he know? <laughs> well, that's a good point. Yeah. And so, um, they'll have to, they'll have to write that into the episode somehow, but it's interesting to me the the pairings and so michael part of the design for this version of hell or the bad place they don't actually call it hell or heaven um uh, in this uh, in the show is to pair people up kind of along you know sartrean no exit lines um where your torture is implemented just by the other people hell is other people uh sort of idea and so um eleanor and chidi are paired up and eleanor's willingness or you know to do bad all the time and just ambivalence about that is a perfect kind of nightmare balance for Chidi's um obsession with trying to always do the right thing so you can see why the tension is built in there um Tahani's name dropping sophistication is in stark contrast to Jason's complete like you know inner city sort of you know 
trash uh, mm-hmm. sort of uh, growing up. And so um, you can see how they might drive each other crazy. Although, like you say, um, Jason doesn't seem to have any malice towards anybody. He's like the sweetest person kind of in, in, in the universe um, as we're presented here. And so um, and that's the basic um, outline of the plot. Um, in the second season, there is uh, this uh, kind of it's set up uh, as kind of the redemption of Michael um, in the way that they keep uh, he keeps trying to recreate hell for them by rebooting the experience. Um, they keep figuring it out. And through that process, they become kind of allied with Michael, uh, who suddenly starts becoming interested in learning about ethics and mm-hmm. being a good person. Uh, and I think that's one of the more kind of like fascinating turns uh, that I could imagine them them attempting in the series. And so, uh, Nathan, you, you wanted to say something about that. Well, I'm always interested in character development. And you know, that's why I, I, I teach drama. That's why I watch plays. That's why I watch television and, and film. And I think this is Michael's arc in this show is one of the more interesting ones on television right now. It is. Uh, to watch him go from this being a pure evil to slowly start to develop uh, ethics and uh, goodness within him to a point where he, you know, by the third season is actively fighting to save these people's lives. It's the only thing that he cares about. He's not, he's completely selfless, really. I mean, yes, he will be destroyed, but it doesn't seem like that's his motivation. And, and, you know, by the end of the third season, he's not only fighting for these four avatars of humanity, but all of humanity. He is actively trying to save humanity um, from forever being tortured, uh, from hell, from the bad place, whatever. Um, and so to go from being a demon to being the savior, essentially, of humanity is, I mean, that, that's pretty, that's a pretty big arc for any <laughs> character, you know, and... and No spoilers for the other show, but watching season eight of Game of Thrones right now, you see a lot of the same kind of complexity of people that you think were bad become slowly over time, you start to see the goodness. And really, I think what both of those shows are trying to get at is that human beings are are complex and that, you know, we can both be, what, damned or saved by the people that we are surrounded by. Um, And I, I, that's maybe my thesis more than anything right there about the show. and, And I think it's inhabited by Michael more than any of the other characters. Yeah. His redemption is utterly necessitated by his relationship in this community, right? He, he becomes involved with the community that he created out of malice. Um, But in that redemption is kind of possible. And I do think that there's like a, a built in critique of individual solutions uh, to, to ethical problems built into this, uh, into this show. Um, and then in the third season, Kristen, they, um, there's a judge who's played really um, brilliantly by, uh, oh gosh, uh, Maya Maya Rudolph, Rudolph, um, who's really hilarious is sort of this neutral arbiter of what goes on in the afterlife and the bureaucracy of the afterlife. And, uh, and so she finds out about what's going on and, the only solution, or the solution that she comes up with is to send them all back to life, uh, back to earth and try to see if they can accumulate enough points. There's this like intricate point system, uh, that determines who goes to the good place and who goes to the bad place. And, uh, and in that, uh, in that season, um, some new, uh, revelations are made by Michael, namely that Kristen, do you want to fill in the gaps there? Oh, um, at the end of the season? Yes. Maybe? Okay, uh, so 
the way this system is is set up, um, every human action has a point value based on how much good or harm it did. Um, and people who have enough points end up at the will end up in the good place and people who don't meet, meet the point total end up in the bad place. Um, and we find out towards the end of the se- end of the third season that nobody has ended up in the good place for about the last 500 years. Yes. <laughs> um, which uh, I, I read that the writers deliberately set to be right about the time of Columbus. Yes. Um, and and the renaissance yeah the kind of the enlightenment era right in in general yes uh that um in our global intertwined world um everything has so many uh intertwined consequences that you don't see um that uh that everybody ends up with negative points um and they do have an example of someone who uh brought roses for his grandmother centuries ago that had a uh positive point total because the roses were just growing there and he picked them and that was nice um and it made his grandmother happy and so this is positive for the world um and if somebody's doing the exact same thing now uh they're being shipped across the world and uh, there's all sorts of pollution that comes from that <laughs> and uh, the workers in that you bought the flowers from in the developing world were living in terrible conditions and so there's negative points there and the the system is set up at this point where it is it is impossible to get through this well yes um, there's no it's no every positive and positively intended action is laden with so many unfathomable consequences that there is no such thing as positive points anymore. And, and Ted Danson's Michael um, understands this by the end of the third season and which ushers us into what's going to be the fourth season in which they're going to um, see if the bad, the good place, the bad place, the the experiment will work with a a new group of people um, before making any judgments about whether the system is flawed. Right. And so you've got this whole, this kind of, the fate of humanity in general is um, placed on the back of this wager between um, Michael, who's like this reformed demon, and his superior, Sean, who's like the, I guess, the the, the management of demons, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, who I know, Sean, actually, that car- that actor, uh, Mark Evan Jackson, from, uh, he was on a few episodes of Scare Tactics, which is one of my favorite guilty pleasures of all times. Um, and so if you've never seen Scare Tactics, you should look it up on YouTube. And so, um, he was a, a, an actor on a, on a few episodes of those, but, um, um, and also many other things. And so that's where we kind of are in terms of the arc of the story. Um, it's a really well made show. Uh, and I think we should spend some time before we get into kind of the weeds of the philosophy and theology of it. Um, just admire the show a little bit. Um, Nathan, what makes it work so well for you? Well, I think the writing is very crisp. It's very funny. Um, it, it, it's uh, the showrunner and creator is Michael Schur. Uh, it's part of his Schurniverse, I think is what they call it. And so he, uh, you know, um, kind of cut his teeth or, or came to popular attention writing the American version of The Office and then did Parks and Rec and now has this show. Um, and I actually believe that 
Parks and Rec and the show are set in the same universe. Uh, if I remember correctly, there which, are which Easter is interesting because Adam Scott is in this as well. It's right? true, yeah, as a demon. He's right? a demon. Uh, <laughs> so maybe he was actually a, a demon in disguise in Parks and Rec the whole time. Yeah. Um, but Michael Schur has, I think, the ability to take average people and make them really interesting people that yeah and then really kind of pull out their quirks and, and you look at whether it be michael scott or um uh amy poehler's why am i forgetting her name um leslie, uh, leslie nope yeah. uh or uh eleanor shellstrop uh they're all um quirky right <laughs> and and he has the ability to really just but they still feel really human so they have these kind of uh, weird quirks, whether you know it be the selfishness of Michael or Eleanor or the kind of self-centered nature of Leslie Nope, but but they still feel like real people. Um, they still uh, feel, and, and you care about them. Yeah. Plus, he just they, it's really funny. I think all three of those shows are very well written. The dialogue works. The jokes are grounded. And they're just super humorous. I, I, I think that that's that's why the show works more than anything else. A, a show about philosophy, um, I don't think clicks like this has if it's not also funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, the right, yeah. Even inventing a character like Jason's dad, who is known as Don- Donkey Dog. Donkey Dog. <laughs> which is one of my we've been hearing him talk about donkey dog all the time and we finally meet him and understand that's his dad that he calls donkey dog um who gets him into this life of crime um just the the imagination of that kind of situation um is hilarious there's one particular joke that my wife and i who was supposed to be on this episode with us uh we have had a little family emergency um with her parents and so she's had to go down to florida and is unable to join us and i was kind of sad about that because she has a lot of smart things to say about this show but in addition to that um it would have been nice to have four of us to kind of mirror the four um people in the Mm -hmm. afterlife just for a sense of symmetry but um one thing that we laughed really hard at was um there was a joke about kind of getting at the complexity of doing the right thing and um, eleanor makes a comment about there's this place where you can go eat really great chicken sandwiches except if you do it makes me that you hate gay people (laughs) (laughs) And so it's this Chick-fil-A joke. It's really nuanced and hilarious and insightful and gets at the absurdity of our, of our life in, in really smart ways. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, um, absolutely the writing is, is part of what makes it work. What about for you, Kristen? Um, what, what's your kind of, um, admiration about this show? Um, so there is, there is a podcast, um, hosted by Mark Evan Jackson that goes parallel along with the show. And one phrase that they use a lot is that this is the smartest and the dumbest show on television. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in maybe the second or third episode, um, when Chidi is starting to teach about ethics, he's, uh, talking about Aristotle learning, saying that Aristotle thought that being a good person was a matter of good habits, and this is something you learn like you learn anything else. Um, and Eleanor is sort of rolling her eyes and says, well, who died and left Aristotle in charge of ethics? And she is very frustrated and says, Plato! <laughs> <laughs> and that is not a punchline I have seen on network sitcom previously. Um So at the same time, they have stuff like that intertwined with fart jokes. Um, (laughs) And the combination somehow really works. Um, 
And the casting is just fantastic. Like I had heard of uh, Kristen Bell and Ted Danson before, but I was not familiar with any of the other actors. Mm-hmm. But um, but they they turned out to be just perfect for their roles. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know what uh, Manny Jacinto is going to do after the role of Jason Mendoza, but um, he is rocking the role of Jason Mendoza. <laughs> it feels like one of those typecasts, kind of like a, a Joey Tribbiani. Like, how do you ever yes. uh, go beyond this role? It, it, it's so perfect, and the, the characterization is so good. Yes. And Sheldon, right, uh, from The Big yeah. Bang Theory, right? Mm-hmm. He could definitely fall into that trap if he's not if he's not careful. But um, And we haven't even mentioned um, Janet, uh, who I think is one of the great show's great in- inventions as well. Um, she's this kind of AI, if you will, um, who is embodied in this kind of like personal assistant form. And, and so she's a, kind of like this all-knowing computer program that knows – basically all the knowledge of the universe. And she's got this like super sweet demeanor and uh, perky demeanor, but there's also a bad Janet's for the bad place. Uh, and so, and they're and the same actress, Darcy Carden um, plays both roles and it's also very funny. And she ends like Michael ends up kind of humanizing by associating with other people. She does as well. And there's this developing kind of romance between this, artificial intelligence and Jason uh, uh, that develops over, over the course of a couple of seasons. And so um, that's another kind of character that's brought into this, that it's just really unique. And I just want to take a minute to recognize how great Ted Danson is just in general. Like, I mean, it's really hard to imagine somebody back in 1980, I would have never guessed that the guy who played Sam Malone would, would be doing this, right. Uh, You know, or anything really beyond that for the, having the career that he's had and to do the variety of things that he's done as well as he's done it, I think is, is kind of amazing. (laughs) Nathan, you wanted to say something about Ted Danson. I, I don't know that I was a Ted Danson fan before this. I had seen an episode or two of Cheers, but I'm I'm just a little younger and I kind of missed the Cheers train. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much over by the time I, I got of an age where I would have paid attention. And we have since actually gone back and watched a couple seasons of Cheers. And it's it's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it deserved its reputation overall. Um But I, I just wasn't all that familiar with Ted Danson's work. And watching him in this, he is subtle and nuanced but human and believable in all of the best ways he he's just fantastic he's such a joy to watch and it it makes me want to go back and watch his other work with a i think a a better appreciation in fact i was flipping around last night and i think that an episode of that show he did was a becker yeah yeah i think it was on one (laughs) of those random uh tv channels that that's on and uh I, I thought about watching it. I, I had something else to do, but uh, almost like maybe I should check this out. If uh, maybe Ted Danson is as good as the in this as he was in in that. Well, the show's not as good. I mean, Becker was fine, but um, but but he's like versatile though. He plays a totally different kind of character. He plays this like grumpy curmudgeon doctor. I think is what he is in that show. Um, and uh, and in this case, he plays this really super perky. Um, 
cruise captain almost, if you will, if you want to kind of um, articulate, almost like cruise director, uh, his, uh, if you want to articulate or describe his position. Um, and then when we find out he's a demon, he like appears utterly evil, right? Uh, and maniacal. And then we watch this transformation and just the, the amount of acting levers he's pulling to do all of this is in one show is just, it's incredible. It's, it's really, it's really impressive. And for someone of my generation, it's awesome to see Ted Danson still kicking it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, so let's get into, I mean, there are two basic um, intellectual areas of interest for the show. One is the philosophy and one is the theology. Right. And, and I think that um, Kristen, you're just amazed by the philosophy of the show. Um, like I said, it, it initially begins as kind of a no exit, uh, almost like a new version of No Exit. It's very similar to that, uh, a comedy, if you will, of that. Um, and then it it shifts gears uh, rather quickly and and becomes something at least as interesting as No Exit, if not more so. And so um, there's existentialism here, but there's it's also marrying it with something that is much more kind of like traditional in its uh, in its philosophical rooting. And so, do you want to talk a little bit about the how you? How, how the philosophy stands out to you? Um, it is really a remarkable intro course in a lot of major ethical theories. Um, so, uh, both on the, the big picture ones that everybody talks about in philosophy 101 of, uh, utilitarianism or, um, Deontology, which is all about doing the right thing regardless of 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 results, um, and then also uh, it, it gets beyond those big obvious categories, um, referring to uh, a lot of uh, contemporary authors, many of which I was not familiar with, and. I, I was a philosophy major, though that was more than 20 years ago at this point. Um, so this is – these people really did their homework. Yes. Um, they really did their homework. Um, and we we see the, the strengths and the weaknesses of a lot of different approaches. Um, so when Eleanor first hears about utilitarianism – um, the idea that you're supposed to uh, do what ends up having the best consequences for everybody at the end of the day. Her response is, well, obviously that's right. Um, wh why are we even talking about any of the others? <laughs> Which is the same reaction a whole lot of undergrads have <laughs> once they get to the same point. Until you see that, well, wait a second, that can be a lot more complicated because uh, – Sometimes uh, doing a really terrible thing for one per for one in to one innocent person may end up having a lot of good results for a, a wider swath. Um, um, and there is a a very famous uh, thought experiment. Um, Huchidi actually identifies as coming from a particular author, which is true, but you don't usually talk about it that way. Hmm. Um, where you are driving a, a train or something, 
and you can diverge onto one of two tracks, but you, you can't just stop. Um, you, you got to pick one or the other. And if you, uh, and on one track, there are five people stuck there. So if you continue on, uh, you will end up running over those f f five, or you could switch to the other track where there's only one person. But then you're actually making an active action to to run over that one person, whereas the five people is just an accident. Mm. Um, so what's what's the best approach to do this, and and how do we think about that? Um, so in their in their classroom. Um, Chidi is talking about this concept and then Michael brings it to life Yes, <laughs> um, as they have uh, so Chidi is actually driving this little trolley car and Michael runs all these different possibilities and does it matter who's on which track and um, which is an, an illustration and a thought experiment that is very very familiar but it's certainly brought to life in a whole new way um which is a a remarkable illustration of very good philosophy like they got this right yeah absolutely and and really that is i think a pivotal episode in this series mm -hmm. because that really becomes the problem of the whole point system, right? Mm -hmm. There, there is. No, I mean, the, it it turns out that the entire system is essentially that kind of utilitarian, um, uh, which gives the that utilitarian system, which gives the illusion that we can sort of calculate merit uh, correctly, right? Uh, and, and so that that becomes the the problem of the whole that that Michael it, it reveals. It seems to be a combination of the worst elements of utilitarianism and deontology. Okay. Okay, because on the one hand, you have to have good results, but on the other hand, Tahani has plenty of good results, mm. but none of it counts because her motives weren't pure. So either way, you lose. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's like they've designed the system with this kind of personal intention subcategory <laughs> that automatically like either, disqualifies yeah. her. <laughs> like, like. There are so many different ways to get this wrong, and you can only get it right if you get all of them perfectly. Yes. Yeah. And, and then as it turns out, you can't because of Doug Forsett, we find out, yes. which I'll get, to, I'll get to in a minute. Um, Nathan, what about you uh, in terms of philosophy here? Well, I was going to talk about the trolley episode as well. I actually showed that in class, but I don't think they <laughs> fully appreciated it as much as I did. I, I, I pretty much agree with everything Kristen said, just how well-researched it is, um, a, how interesting it makes philosophy, which, I mean, sure, academics many times love that sort of thing, but your average, you know, uh, my mom probably isn't going to be interested in sitting through a philosophy class, but I think sitting in front of this show, it makes it, I, I think it shows the relevance of philosophy, the the idea that that we have big questions that we need to ask ourselves and how it affects even if we we don't actively think about those questions how we lead our lives is a reflection of those questions right isn't that kind of like the underlying idea of philosophy mm -hmm. and this show brings it to light in in a comic way that's a lot of fun um 
And I think it's also really interesting to watch as characters, right? These people trying to grapple with these really complex complex ideas and how how that changes them or doesn't change them as the case may be. And that even as they learn, uh, you know, okay, I understand this philosophical concept intellectually now, but that doesn't mean I'm automatically a better person person or that I act better. And Chidi is a prime example, right? Somebody who understands philosophy in a very deep level and is just awful to be around because he cannot make a decision. Um, And, you know, I I think as professors, sometimes we have this idea that students will come into our classes and sit and we will say something enlightening, you know, very enlightening, and they will be changed right it's it's the the dead poet society syndrome <laughs> and i think this shows that in many ways that is kind of a, a sham that he, not to, they they're learning they're taking stuff away but you don't just hear something inspirational and now you're a different person now you're uh changed i think that's a really interesting idea yeah you have to internally you have to like intrinsically like care about it. You have to find a way to make it matter to you. Right. Um, and so, uh, and that's, that's the trick of education is getting that kind of buy-in, um, especially in a gen ed class where they, they don't want to be there. They sort of have to be there. The, when it can work is when you can make it feel like they have something at stake. Right. Uh, and these characters find the desire to learn, um, based on their desire to be good to these people who have become their friends, right? And so that, that entering into a community makes them sort of, that gives them the motivation, I guess, that's needed to make this kind of moral progress to the point where not only does Tahani overcome her selfishness and forgive her sister and, and all of that kind of thing. I mean, Michael is sort of the demon architect of the whole system, <laughs> And he and he finds a way uh, for redemption, right? And so, um, yeah, that's a that's a really fascinating um, aspect of the show. And I did read somewhere where they do have philosophy or philosophers. Uh, they consult with philosophers actively. Yes. Um, in the show, I I can't produce the names of who who they are, but um, but they they have taken this serious enough to get it right um, in terms of its descriptions. Um, of these philosophical systems. Um, and one thing, I guess, is a, a transition into the theological aspect. The uh, Sure, at one point, I think I read in doing some little background reading about the show, had it in mind that it would be kind of a comparative religion show um, originally. And so you'd have a variety of religious versions of heaven and hell, uh, like in conflict with each other. And then opted for philosophy. And and I do think it's interesting that there does seem to be a replacement of religion with ethics on some level. Do you agree with that, Kristen? I think when you talk to Mike Schur, that's exactly what he says. He's very clear. This is not about religion. This is about philosophy. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, and maybe this is unintentional, he seems to be making a great case that we cannot save ourselves no matter how hard we try. Um, the, all the philosophical systems in the world will lead you to trip up one way or another and, and everybody ends up in hell. <laughs> like yeah. it, it's making a great case that we need a savior somehow. Yeah, I really, don't think they're trying to, but that's totally what they're doing. Which is very, I mean, 
um, small o orthodox Christian, right? I mean, that's sort of the the idea behind penal substitutionary atonement, right? Uh, and so, um, yeah, I do feel like unintentionally, this is quite a Christian show. <laughs> um, like, uh, like uh, Nathan, I, you would disagree with that, though. I well, I from a complete like money producing big like television show point of view i understand the desire to not have any particular theology because you don't want to alienate sure any of your potential customers right and so if this is you know a christian god or a jewish god or or a muslim god or whatever uh, automatically there are people now judging this based on that so i i just from a money point of view i understand the decision i now, I obviously come at this from a different place, but I don't read it as we need a savior. I read it as the savior is each other, right? Like they're, they're, they find salvation and their salvation is in other people, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and the critique to me is that any organization and any that, that, that has bureaucracy is inevitably that, that, that insists on rules, right? Which all religions kind of do to a degree, right? There are, there are rules and structures. If you want to get into heaven, you must do X, mm-hmm. right? And, and all of that is flawed because rules are rigid and we are not. And that, that, that's my reading. Now, I think it's great art because we can have a variety of readings in it. And I think they're all, Super valid. I think that that's why it's such a compelling show is that we all can watch the same thing and have very different uh, takes on it. Um, that that's the best kind of art in my <laughs> in my view. Yeah, it's the we all have a different piece of the elephant kind of uh, of philosophy of, of art consumption there. And, and I think you're right. There is definitely. Uh, one thing that is notable about this is it is like pure bureaucracy, right? Um, and so there is definitely an institutional critique going on. There's not even a definable, just at least yet, and we're in through three seasons. There is no head of the organization, right? There is no God or Satan figure. Um, there are representatives of those sides, but we don't have the figure heads, right? And so at that point, it does not go all the way into sort of a, a Christian metaphysic, right? Um, but it, it, I guess it stops short at kind of um, laying the kind of critique of works-based salvation that Christianity makes um, without proposing Christianity as a solution to that. Does that make sense, what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's actually a great way to think about it. And, and therefore, it's it's necessarily super complex and super interesting, right? I think, I, which is one thing I sort of love about it. Um, Kristen, you had a whole lot of ideas about the theological stuff with this, and you have kind of a hope for the show revolving around <laughs> Sean, and, I, and, and I, we'll get to that um, as you as you care to. But Sure. Um, one thing that really struck me um, that we see with Tahani's story, that where she does a whole lot of good, but none of it counts because her motives weren't pure. Um, or in the middle of the first season, um, Eleanor is trying to do all these good things in the afterlife in order to bump up her total, but her total won't budge because uh, if she's doing good things in order to avoid hell, basically none of it counts. Yeah. 
and and I don't know anything really about Eastern Christian traditions, but in in the Western traditions, I think this is specifically Catholic as opposed to Protestant. Mm. Um, but uh, there's talk of perfect contrition and imperfect contrition. Okay. Um, and perfect contrition is repentance, simply repenting of your sins, simply because you know your sins offended God. Um, and repenting for any other reason is imperfect, um, because you want to avoid hell, because you want to avoid prison, because I don't like thinking of myself as the sort of person who would do such things. There are all sorts of other reasons to repent, and for most of us, they're constantly intertwined. Um, and the Catholic tradition very much says imperfect contrition is, is imperfect. This is not the ideal. But it's still something mm -hmm. that even the desire to avoid hell is, in some extent, a work of grace. Okay. And it's, it's a window that God can get into. And I so we see that some, I think, in Eleanor. I think it's very clear with Michael mm -hmm. um, because when he stops torturing the humans and starts teaming up with them, he is very explicit that the only reason he's doing this is because he knows his luck has run out. Yeah. <laughs> his strategy has failed <laughs> and he is going to be in, in terrible trouble with his superiors. Yeah. So therefore let's try plan B. Mm -hmm. um, there is not a bit of altruism in this. Yeah. It is totally about self-preservation. And still he ends up being transformed by it. Yeah. Like, like our starting place does not need to be great. <laughs> um, our motives are almost always impure. And that still gives God something to work with. Uh, and that's very Aristotelian uh, in, in, in the sense that by doing, by sort of practicing good things, that's how you become a good person, just yes, by kind of physically yes. doing them, right? Um, yes. And so, yeah, that's a way in which I think the philosophy and the theology are kind of inseparable uh, in in this show because it's about the afterlife. I guess you're never going to totally escape the the theological perspective um, mm -hmm. on this. And so, yeah, and and yeah, that's um, absolutely true. And one episode that kind of stands out to me is in season three, I believe when they're back on earth, that's in season three, right? Um, or is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a little confused. Um, when Eleanor, um, gets re reacquainted with her mother, um, and her mother has kind of insincerely to a degree started living a normal life where she'd been this kind of just like white trash person who like mm -hmm. raised Eleanor terribly. And now she has found a guy who um, is sort of just this boring, I think architect, I think is what his job yes. is. Uh, who And they, there's a, a kid involved now who's sort of Eleanor's half sister. Um, and she's doing a really good job on the surface of raising this kid. We find out that it's, sort of still a scam but not so much completely um and yet eleanor kind of lets that go so in both cases there you see somebody living better lives at least right um just out of their own will um but for the sake of other people in this case right um it's that's because of the community that they found and i think that that's one of the the kind of beautiful <laughs> the beautiful things about this show is that it emphasizes that um 
And so, um, um, what about Sean? Like your sort of idea about Sean is, is a, is a yeah, great so one. Yeah, so Sean is basically a middle management demon. Um, he, 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 when when the show is starting off, he is Michael's superior. He probably has superiors too, but we haven't met them yet. Yeah. Um, but I I kept thinking of. Uh, a, a universalist strain that is a minority voice within the Christian tradition, but it's there. Um, and particularly with an, with an early theologian origin, who th- basically, this is very much the Cliff Notes version, because that's all I know, um, <laughs> basically thought that at the big picture, end of the story, and it can take an awfully long time to get there, but ultimately God has to be triumphant mm-hmm. and um, ultimately everyone will be redeemed, including the fallen angels. Okay. Um, and that has been mighty controversial to put things mildly. Yeah. Um, Rob Bell's love wins seems to derive from it's, that. It's in that strain. Yeah. It's in that strain. Um, Rob Bell didn't make it up. No, no. I'm not surprised <laughs> at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for good or for ill, you know, I've, I've yes. heard, when, when all that stuff was happening, uh, I was hearing some more conservative Christians say, my goodness, even within the church these days, some people are saying this. I'm like, it's not new. <laughs> <laughs> it may be wrong. It's not new. Um, but I went off on a tangent. Um, uh, but we've already really seen so much of the redemption of Michael. Um, I would hope that ultimately that would just keep spreading and might the end of the show um, end up with the redemption of Sean as well. I, and there's no reason that it can't happen according to the the shows, what the show has set up, right? I mean, it does seem to be about your own willingness to be a better person, right? Or better being in this case, right? And so, yeah, I think that that's actually true. Nathan, do you have anything to add to that? Just that his name is Sean. <laughs> just hilarious <laughs> i i love that that the the demons are named sean and trevor and jake and you know like they don't even though these are immortals that seemingly have been around for millennia the idea that there has always been a sean like i and we uh i was watching the episode with the accountant yes. earlier and uh played by um oh why am i going blank oh gosh it's, uh, I stayed up too late watching Game of Thrones last night. <laughs> um, oh, I'm going to hate myself tomorrow. Uh, but you know the. Uh, but they're still using like the old uh, computers and printers. I like just like the, the, this has been this way for millennia. It will never change. Um, I realize. I'm sorry. I, I hijacked your th- theological argument. No, no, I don't. It's... I don't have theology myself. Uh, <laughs> but I just. There's something I think really funny about the idea that that they all just have normal names. That these names have always just been kind of evil. Uh, (laughs) The ancient Trevor, yes, (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's true. That is one of the jokes. It's like uh, of the show, and the fact they're using like dot matrix printers and things in accounting. Right? It's it's like super old school like floppy disk era um computing um to do this and so well but i would say that's part of the the idea that they're they're inflexible yeah right and i and i think that is where i my i I see a criticism of organized religion is inflexibility 
right? We set we set these things, and then we we are unable to adapt to a changing world, and so the world has changed, but our our theology, our philosophy, our the way we do things has not. And that I realize is a very simplified understanding. I but but from an outsider's point of view, looking into a lot of these organizations that I th- that's what I see all, all too often and that's what I see this show as criticizing as well is an, an inflexibility right um, that, that we this is how things we, we've always done them and so who would question the idea of points needing to be updated like th- this worked for thousands of years the fact that life has gotten more complicated that that doesn't mean our point system is wrong. It, you're wrong for not just abiding by this point system that has always been there. Um, so that that's right. where I see that criticism. It, it's not so much in the idea of uh, a higher entity. It's in, in the idea of the organizations that are not able to adapt to such. Yeah, institutions are necessary to carry something through time, right? But they also overwhelm the thing that they're carrying and, and they kind of supersede it. They tend to supersede it. Um, and therefore you need kind of reformations and that sort of thing, right. Um, to, uh, to keep them unsettled on some level. Right. And so, um, and actually I'm, as you're talking about that, there is, I've just kind of learning on a very introductory level, um, through following the work of Travis McMakin, um, a little bit. Um, um, I heard him on the theology and socialism podcast recently talking about dialectical theology and, and Karl Barth and, and, and that sort of thing. And there is a sense in which that's a form of theology that does kind of consider the current moment, um, uh, alongside Christianity. And there's this sort of dialectical relationship that moves that progresses through history, your sort of understanding of God. And like I said, that's a, a completely superficial reading of it, but um, um, something I want to learn more about at least. And so anybody out there listening want to school me, I'm, I'm willing to be schooled. And so um, be my cheaty uh, to, uh, to my Eleanor. And so um, this is a, um, a really good point though, that you're making that the, the bureaucracies of this afterlife seem bizarre, particularly the, in the good place, like the good place bureaucracy is particularly inept. Like when Michael presents them the evidence that something is wrong with this, there's like they've uh, a resolution to have another meeting to divide, decide what the resolution for the next meeting should be. And that should only take 500 years to choose a committee and all this sort of thing. Right. And so, yeah, I think I told you when I, I saw the episode, I said, the good place is higher education. <laughs> yes. We're living in the good place. And that's terrifying. <laughs> that's totally true. Um, yeah. They're, they're particularly inept. And so um, there's definitely an, an institutional critique that is definitely lobbied, lobbied at religion here. Um, but also I think at philosophy too. I mean, I think that, um, um, I think there's sort of equal partners in that way. Um, one thing before we leave theology, um, we got to talk about the medium place, <laughs> which is now in a few episodes and in fact becomes the setting for the fourth season because they don't think it's fair to put this experiment in either the good or the bad place. So they put it in the medium place, which is this, it's not purgatory. Um, it's this bizarre, like, Terrible, crappy place to live for eternity, but not 
insufferable sort of i don't even know how to describe uh, it's inhabited by a sole person oh and what's her name i forget her name now uh mindy st Clair, yes um it's inhabited by a sole person whose entire life consists of snorting cocaine <laughs> having meaningless unenjoyable sex and listen watching what Cannonball Run, isn't it? Cannonball Run two, two. That's right, Cannonball Run. <laughs> that's that's the uh, that's the that's what the medium place consists of. While wearing some like terrible eighties business uh, business suit, right? Business pants suit or something. And so, um, like, Kristen, what do you make of the medium place? I have no idea what to do with that, other than it's hilarious. <laughs> well, yes. Um... And it's definitely not purgatory because the whole point of purgatory is you pass through it. Right. Everybody in purgatory is on their way to heaven. They're being purged, um, uh, right, of something. Exactly. Right? Um, it reminded me a little bit of uh, the way Dante describes limbo. Okay. Um, and uh, and he has one of the virtuous pagans explain that there is no suffering here except without hope we live in desire. Okay. And I, I remember when I was in college, our oh. professor was saying, don't read past that too fast. Yeah. Because that sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and her desires are utterly banal and, yes, and kind of gross. Yeah. That this show is all about the redemptive power of community. Yeah. And Mindy is the only person we see who has no community whatsoever and uh, in utter isolation uh, fills up her time with porn and cravings for cocaine. Yes. Um, like, and, and we, when we hear about the original bad place, there are, all sorts of uh, dramatic physical tortures. Yeah. Um, like in medieval but, art, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and there's none of that in the medium place, but this seems an awful result. And, and I just, and in a show that is so explicitly about the importance of of community that can't be accidental. Like this has to be on purpose, Yeah. but I don't know what they're going to do with it. Well, and I hope they do something since now the good place experiment is in the medium mm -hmm. place, right? Just there's this, if you can just imagine this like metaphysical real estate um, and that's where this happens to be held. We're out of the sway of the bad place demons, but um, not with the benefits of the good place bureaucracy or whatever. Um, and so, yeah. And, Really, to me, it seems like what's chilling about her and her life is that it's probably the way most human lives are actually lived, just in the self-serving quest for pathetic pleasures that are really dumb, like Cannibal 2, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, um, that might have seemed cool for about 15 minutes when you first experience it. Um, and most people can never move past that. And I think that hmm. in some ways, she's the most chilling character in in the whole, the whole universe. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Nathan. No, not really. I think you summed it up pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a really super interesting addition, kind of with the margins of this uh, of this world. They go there every now and then for various, various reasons. But there's um, um, she's not only in like five episodes, according to the website here. And so um, but I think it's going to be a bigger part in the uh, in the 
later episodes here. A couple things stand out to me. I just want to run them by you as we kind of run to a close here. Um, this anti this show is explicitly, I think, anti individualist, right? Um, it, it, there's no way Doug Forsett, Doug Forsett episode. He's been like portrayed as the one person in all of human history who has figured out the system um, on earth while he's living. And so he's the only person who knows how it actually works and is living the right kind of life. And then when Michael goes and visits him to see what he's doing, it's played really hilariously by Michael McKeon, um, who can't play anything badly. I think Michael McKeon is, is awesome. Um, and, uh, and, but he's living this really kind of, see a gross life by himself in the woods, depriving himself of every pleasure. A little neighborhood bully comes by and knows that he can ask him to give him anything and he'll just give it anything. So he tortures him just by making him do um, so he can earn his way into heaven. And then as it turns out, um, even Doug Forsett is way, he's way short of, of earning his way into heaven because of these unintended consequences. Right. And that's the episode to me where it, the, um, the 500 years of human failure comes into, into play here. That's sort of the early stages of the development of our modern world, right? And so with that economic development, um, there does seem to be like um, a, an acknowledgement that with that kind of development, individual virtue is meaningless, <laughs> like in, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of salvation um, because our interrelations are so complicated by this economic system that we all live in that um, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing as um, ethical capitalism basically uh, in this world. Right. And so, I mean, do you, do you have any, any thoughts on that, Nathan? Just, I think that what a, it speaks to how lonely being a good person in this way is right. Mm -hmm. And that, that we have to somehow learn how to be good to one another without trying to destroy everything around us Mm -hmm. and just accepting that there are unintended consequences. And that's just, that's just part of, of life. Right. Um, And, and Doug, I think, you know, when you watch that episode, he is such a sad figure. (laughs) He really is. Um, And everything he's given up, to try to get into the good place, uh, it's it's terrible. And of course, we the irony that he's not even going to get in. But it, when we watch that first episode, as far as we know, he's getting in. But the what you have to sacrifice essentially, you're sacrificing enjoying your life in order to make it to the good place. And then, of course, it doesn't even work. But um, but then, if you if you you can definitely go too far the other way, right? Where you're enjoying life so much. Uh, like Eleanor, that you you are giving away something else. I, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting kind of conversation that the show is having about what you have to give uh, in order to um, get to the good place. I, I think it's a sharp critique of, of people who think if I just go off the grid, I won't be implicated in the filthiness of this world, mm-hmm. right? Um, and Doug Forsett is not, right? Um, and he's, uh, I mean, he's as off the grid as you can get, right? And and his life is not only miserable, but pointless then, right? And how guilty should we feel about 
using electricity, yeah, which we know is burning coal, which is putting carbon into the atmosphere, which is killing our oceans and eventually all of us. But yet we're still here using, you know, this room is lit up. Yes. Uh, three lights on. And, and yeah. computers <laughs> and... Uh, but that it's it's complicated and it's never going to be simple. Yeah, yeah, and so I mean, it, it necessitates some sort of collective political will, right, in order to um, to do good in the world, and that's what I think Michael and his band is enacting for us, right? They're they're living for other people for the benefit of other people to some to some degree, right? And also, Doug Forsett ends up with such a impoverished view of the good. Yeah. Um, especially with his uh, interactions with the neighborhood bully kid. Yeah. Who has learned that he can ask uh, Doug to do whatever awful self-destructive thing. Like and, oh, me, will that make you happy? Okay, then I'll do it. Give you my shoes, I think, is exactly. one of them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's not good for this kid. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, it's teaching uh, this kid a wrong lesson. I don't do do. You would never do that to your daughters because you love them. Exactly. Right. Um, yes. And you cannot go through life like this. Right. And so, yeah, that's actually, there's no sort of, but again, that would necessitate um, the primacy of a relationship with that kid. And he has no actual relationship, that kid right. that isn't transactional. Uh, and, and so I think that that's getting it. I think what this show is ultimately about is as individuals, um, we can't do it, right? I mm-hmm. mean, there is no way in this world that we live in that is so complicated um, to uh, to actually be a good person on your own, right? You can't buy hemp with a wool hats or something. I don't even know if that exists. But, <laughs> um, and that you grow yourself in your, whatever your basement. And so um, – and uh, and not and, – and leave no carbon – footprint that is still removed by doing so it's almost even worse because you're removing yourself from the system which is denying the possibility for the community right and, mm-hmm. and so there's some some really strange and complicated meditation on the role like the challenges and the possibilities of community i think in mm-hmm. this in this show um and and i love it um and so <laughs> I think it's super fascinating, as well as just being funny. If you're not interested in thinking, you'll still just enjoy the humor of this show because it's hilarious, right? Giant it's, shrimp. Yes. You know. Yes. <laughs> and Donkey Doug, right? And so <laughs> – and the way they all die is typically – they die in very funny ways. And so the the show opens in, in kind of like hilariously ironic deaths and stuff. And so um, – um, I want to leave you guys with the final words, though. Um, anything you want to talk about, Nathan, or uh, reference? Uh, you mentioned something about the season finales being so well uh, orchestrated. Oh, you had just asked, uh, you know, what are some favorite episodes? And I, I think I said that the season finales do a really good job of uh, rebooting the reality and setting up a new conflict. Uh, the, the showrunner, I think, recognizes that this if it's only in the good place and if it's only you know in the bad place this is a really stale formula that's going to get boring very quickly and even that first episode of uh season two where they reboot it and then he immediately reboots it again and then again and again and again uh and i think it shows a willingness to the creators to constantly keep reinventing what the show is which i think i i don't know where it can go i kind of hope this is the last season and they can bring it to a close just because i'm not sure it's getting the ratings to 
continue and yeah. i would rather see them bring it to an end in their own way than yeah. um to just be canceled yeah uh but i think in a world where that isn't a concern which doesn't exist you know it, the ability to continue to change the show maybe means that they could keep it going in some ways although that now that it's more of a streamlined we have to get them into the good place i think that becomes a little less easy to keep changing what the show is um it also it becomes a little less philosophical because now they're they're chasing the MacGuffin, right they're trying to get them into heaven as opposed to we're just living in this place and talking and having a conversation and making connections yeah um, yeah there's a there's a, a an end goal finally in yeah. sight here um that is it seems to have to build to a conclusion because they've only given them a certain amount of time to succeed or fail right on this uh on this and and i don't know i mean if they'll finally introduce figureheads at the heads of these bureaucracies or not but uh i kind of hope they don't on some level <laughs> i don't know how they'd pull that off uh but but um Kristen, what about you oh i was really really struck by an episode in the middle of season two um where for the beginning part of season two uh the, the humans keep figuring out what their situation is, that this is actually the bad place. And Michael keeps resetting and resetting. And, this, and of course, the next time it'll actually work, and it never does. Um, and when that process stops and uh, Michael figures out, <laughs> this strategy is not working. We need to do something else. Um, so finally, all the characters understand where they are. Um, they all want to be good. Um, that uh, I, I remember Tahani in particular first start saying, well, wait a second, if this is the bad place, there was a mistake because I did all these good things. I'm supposed to be in the good place. And Michael says, no, <laughs> you are not, you were not nearly as good a person as you think you were. Yeah. And immediately she turns on a dime and says, okay, if, if Chidi is teaching ethics, I want to learn because I want to be the person I always thought I was. Yeah. Like there is, there's a lot of deep goodness within these people. Um, and I was thinking of uh, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, mm. uh, where at one point um, one of the angels are saying, you know, if there is the smallest bit of a flame, we will keep blowing on that forever to help it grow. Mm -hmm. If it's absolutely out, then there's nothing we can do. Um, and there's a flame here. And, and the, the, this bureaucratic system is designed to, to stomp out those flames. Um, and I was just struck by the contrast between that and what, what C.S. Lewis describes, where they will do anything to, uh, to help that flame grow as long as it's at all possible. Yeah, um, that's a great um, perspective on it, actually. I, I love that. Um, and yeah, and I think for me, this, uh, the episode, I, the Doug Forsett episode is telling. Um, but I am also reminded of the one in which in season three, they're all going around trying to help their loved ones. Mm -hmm become better people so they get into the good place. If we can't make it, at least I want my loved ones to be, which is the kind of selflessness you think would earn yourself a place in a good place, right? Um, and and uh, and Jason gets reunited with his dad and, a, and a, his, a friend, and his dad is still this sort of criminal. This Again, like Jason, this kind of 
lovable, like well-meaning criminal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some sort of heist that they're uh, they're going to do, and so Jason goes to help, and they're about to get caught. And the dad says, "No, you know, you go, and I'll, I'll take the I'll take the hit for this, right?" And so Jason felt some guilt about that, but it was like he was allowing his father to make a good ethical choice, right? Yes. Uh, and so that was uh, yes. one of the really very sweet and very complicated ways in which this deals with the the nature of living ethically in community. And and I think that this, uh, the show when it's, uh, I mean, I don't, I've not seen a bad episode of the show, but one of the things that it does best is to kind of ponder that. And so, um, I've really enjoyed talking about this. I'm sorry. It's taken so long <laughs> to, uh, to get together guys. It's totally my fault. Um, but, uh, um, Nathan, uh, McGee and, and Kristen Philippic, thank you so much for joining the show. I've, uh, really enjoyed talking to you guys as always. You're always welcome to come back, uh, anytime. Those of you who are listening, uh, catch us on uh, Facebook. Uh, we have a Twitter account. You can email me at sectarianreview at gmail.com. Um, always look forward to listening uh, to what you have to say, and I learn more from you guys than I'm sure I teach you. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, my name is Danny Anderson, saying goodbye for Kristen Philippic and Nathan McGee. Mm-hmm.